1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Health in Harlem. My name is Reed. And my name is Giorgio. My name is Mo. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about cardiovascular disease awareness and prevention in honor of Heart Health Month, which is currently February. So just a little insight into the topic. We've been talking a lot lately about COVID, obviously, and we're now reach past 500,000 deaths in the U.S., but... A pandemic that we're also facing is heart disease. So on average, about 655,000 Americans die from heart disease every year, which broken down means about one death every 36 seconds. Heart disease is a leading cause of death amongst men and women in the US, as well as most racial and ethnic groups. Um, And it costs around $219 $219 billion annually in health costs and lost and reduced productivity. Uh, Hold on, repeat serious. that number for me. $219, $219 billion, billion dollars annually every year. Isn't that wild? So in a decade, uh, we're I'm talking sure trillion trillion. Yeah.
2: It is American Heart Month. But but like you're saying, read that topic is something we need to address year round. Absolutely. Uh, Someone in the United States is lost to a heart attack every 40 seconds. And cardiovascular disease accounts for one in every four deaths in America.
1: Not just that, but those deaths are increasing. Heart disease killed 18.6 million people globally in 2019, which is a 17% increase from the amount of people that it killed in 2009.
2: What about the number of cases in in the more recent years? You said that was from 2019. Yes,
0: 2009. Yeah, so 2019. But in in 2009, right they we're talking about a 17 percent increase from the previous decade. 18.6 million that people that were killed, right, globally in 2019 as a result of heart disease. It's it's increasing, which is the more concerning thing. You know, we're talking about 523.2 cases around the world in 2019. And that is a 26.6 increase from 2010, as far as the number of cardiovascular disease cases around the world. I'm glad that we're, we're on this topic. And I felt like we definitely could not leave February without having talked about this, being that it is um, American Heart Month. The interesting thing, right, is that when we talk about this uh, illness, cardiovascular disease, if we go all the way back to just <laughs> the inception of each human being on this planet, You know, this is the first system to develop in the human embryo, the cardiovascular system. The heart begins to form around the 18th day. We have these complex series of biomolecular communications that eventually lead to organization of these very specialized cardiac progenitor cells, and they form these little blood islands. And they ultimately become these vascular or blood vessel-like structures and begin to morph into the heart essentially. But one thing that's crucial is that this does not form in isolation, right? This is in conjunction with the vascular system as a whole. So it's your heart and blood vessels that form as a whole. And it makes perfect sense that this forms first, right? Because this is sort of the foundation for everything else to grow, um, including your nervous system, your um, gastrointestinal system, your muscles and bones, like everything sort of is driven from the cardiovascular system. And so when we think about heart health, we're really talking about a person's overall health status in reality. That's the key, right? We can't talk about the heart um, in isolation. Even though it is American Heart Month, right? Every every body system is potentially impacted when, when a person has heart disease.
2: And so what's the tie between cardiovascular disease and its embryology? Is it something that begins from that point of development or is it something that progresses over time? Or are there different types of heart diseases that affect people differently and at different developmental points?
0: So this is a a great question, Giorgio, because there are congenital heart diseases, largely that arise around this crucial period of the formation of the heart and a vascular system. And so you can have, and there are individuals that have congenital um, heart disease, even congenital heart defects, um, some are manifest rather early. So very shortly after birth, there are a subset of congenital heart diseases that right, an individual can demonstrate those symptoms very quickly after being born. Typically, those are fixed surgically. So they have a surgical procedure to address those issues. Some of them that are relatively silent. So a person can have some congenital uh, defects or abnormalities that are Relatively stable, and they live happy, productive lives. Many times we won't even know about those with individuals, as I said, living productive, happy lives. However, the what we're really talking about, especially um, what American Heart Month is focused on, we're talking about a, a lot of the more chronic heart diseases that, as you said, right, develop. This is not something that happens, right, from what we see during that embryologic development. We're talking about disease that begins to develop over time. And there are a number of risk factors that really set somebody up for developing cardiovascular disease. And so that's what we really need to focus on. We can mitigate those, right? Correct, man. There's a lot that we can do, right? This is not a hopeless situation, just like with COVID, right? With social distancing, with mask wearing, with good hand hygiene, um, even mass vaccination programs, right? That's how we're dealing with COVID on a, a large sort of public health level. Well, the same thing at the individual and public health level, we can deal with cardiovascular disease, which is, you know, if you put this side by side with COVID, I, I know we've had that 500,000 deaths here in the US over the last year. But if we talk about that 650,000 deaths, right, each and mm-hmm. every year <laughs> since COVID, right, this guy, COVID is like a small time player right now compared to cardiovascular disease. Um, especially being that we we see that the the rates of cardiovascular
1: disease are rising, um, yeah, recently. And I'll I'll probably go ahead and bet you I don't have any facts on this, but uh, I'm sure that a large number of those COVID deaths are people who had some kind of coronary mm. disease, which predisposed them to severe COVID. Facts.
0: Facts. As far as one of the risk factors that we know increases one chances of having more um, compl- complications from COVID-19, heart disease is one of them, right? Heart disease is definitely one of them. So uh, you are on the money that, yes, there are individuals with cardiovascular, cardiovascular disease that might've had complications from COVID-19 as a result, um, or at least with cardiovascular disease being a, a major contributor to that.
2: So if we look at the heart as a complex machine, as a, a complex design or and a beautiful design, by the way, for this uh, complex organ that is doing a lot and connecting with your vascular system to perform this function that Reed was saying of, of distributing everything, circulating everything, and making sure that our body cells get the oxygen they need to make the energy that they need to be able to keep functioning. Otherwise, cells start to to starve. The heart has to pump against resistance and make sure that it can establish this cardiac output, this this blood flow. Common issues that we have with the heart have to do with uh, the machine breaking down in a couple different ways. So it could be the plumbing or the electricity of the machine that could break down and uh, a lot of times cardiologists will look at it in this kind of way. And whenever we're talking about the plumbing, we're talking about valves. We're talking about arteries getting clogged. Like for coronary artery disease. We're talking about, uh, prolapses, valves that need to be replaced after getting damaged over time. We're talking about pressure volume loops, basically making it so that, uh, blood flows in a certain pattern. And now there are other types of issues that we can have, which are more electrical related because the heart has to create its own rhythm in order to cause the machine to actually move. It needs its own uh, battery, if you will, Uh, but it's beating to its own drum. And sometimes that drum can go off rhythm and we can have arrhythmias. And those will equally cause issues to the cardiac function because so much of our body depends on our cardiac function, uh, these can have pretty big impacts. So I guess a good place to start is with coronary artery disease, Mo. So over here, we're talking about a disease where the coronary circulation, the, the blood supply for the muscle of the heart that allows it to get the oxygen it needs to make the energy that it needs to be able to pump is going to be blocked in some way. And these are super super small arteries, when you compare them to, to, you know, your aorta, which is going to supply your your entire uh, systemic circulation, these coronary arteries can have stenosis, or the narrowing of the uh, artery due to buildups, different kinds of plaques. So we could be talking about atherosclerotic plaques, which are combination of fat, cholesterol, calcium and other substances. And then there are, there are plaques that are also the product of chronic inflammation. Mo, tell us a little bit about what the stenosis would do. Why is it such a big deal?
0: So essentially, this is the most, right, we talk about heart disease. I think one thing that really comes to mind for the general public, um, for everybody is we, we think we're talking about primarily heart attacks, right? We think of the person as having chest pain, as clutching their chest, maybe they're a little bit sweaty. Um, they could even be vomiting. Those are very common symptoms of a heart attack. Um, that's what classically comes to mind. This is indeed the most common form of heart disease in the United States. Um, that's evidenced by the fact that a person has, as we said earlier, right? There's a person in the United States that, uh, approximately every 40 seconds is having a quote unquote heart attack. Um, but when we talk about coronary artery disease, we're not just talking about heart attacks. Um, what we are talking about is what Giorgio stated, right? You have these coronary arteries, so these blood vessels that are actually delivering nutrition, oxygen and nutrition to the heart. Um, Just like every other organ system in the body, right? The heart is pumping continuously throughout our lives, millions and probably billions of times throughout our lifetime. I'm not sure the amount of heartbeats per lifetime, but think about this thing working continuously, tirelessly every day to deliver oxygen and nutrients to your body. Um, but the heart, too, needs nutrition, right? It needs energy. It needs fuel. It's putting in the work. So, of course. It is It is putting in all the work. And so it definitely needs its own supply of energy, right? Uh, a continuous supply of energy, too. This energy, right? We cannot interrupt this energy supply because then the heart can begin to fail. Um, and we can have a lot of problems resulting from that. And so these arteries that are supplying the heart, uh, when we're born, right, At that, as we said, Those early stages, right? Just born, you have fresh coronary arteries. Everything is, there's no blockages in there. Um, If you think of it as a highway, this is like uh, four in the morning. There's no traffic, right? Everything is just flying through um, and your heart is getting all the nutrition that it needs, all of the fuel that it needs and oxygen and everything is good. But over time, these arteries can develop what's called atherosclerotic plaques. Uh, which are, as Giorgio said, a combination of fat, cholesterol. Um, it can be some calcium in there, other substances. One thing that also, in addition to these substances building up, another thing that we know now that uh, really contributes to this is just chronic inflammatory uh, changes that ultimately lead to blockages of these arteries over time. So if you think about these plaques, right, um, or if we think about the plumbing, uh, there's another great analogy from Giorgio. You got some you're throwing grease down your pipes right? over time. That grease, start, grease starts to accumulate on the walls of the pipes. And next thing you know, you have a backed up sink, right? And you need to call your plumber to come and clean that out. Well, it's a similar thing that's happening to the arterial supply of the heart. These plaques over time can become thick to the point where um, you know that now there's traffic on the highway where blood is not able to get through as efficiently And therefore, the heart begins to starve for oxygen and nutrition. And now this can be manifest in many different ways, right? Um, Individuals can then begin to have chest discomfort or chest pain, something that we call angina. One thing that is really classic about this is that it can happen, right? Um, As we're sort of carrying out our activities, whether we're going for a walk or even a run, our heart, this is the awesome thing about the heart, is that it, it, can work to adjust its supply of oxygen and nutrients throughout the rest of the body. Oftentimes, by increasing the heart rate, there are other changes that take place in the blood vessels of the body to allow us to deliver oxygen and nutrients to the rest of our body. But your heart will start to naturally pump faster the more you move, right? And as your heart is working harder to supply oxygen to your body, uh, your, your heart will also need more oxygen and nutrients. And thus, if you have that narrowing of those blood vessels and not enough blood is getting through when you begin to go and walk for, let's say run for the bus, um, or it could even be as severe as a person getting up to turn a tan on their television if they can't find a remote, right? Um, if you're, you have blockages in those arteries and not enough blood is able to get through, that's when you can begin to develop that chest pain because your heart is starving for oxygen is starving for nutrition, and it can't meet that supply. Ultimately, these blockages can become so uh, pronounced that a person can begin to have more symptoms, right? Thus, more chest pain, more shortness of breath. Uh, Sometimes it can be manifest as dizziness or lightheadedness that a person can experience. Also, what can happen is that these plaques can rupture and this can lead to a complete blockage of those coronary arteries and that results in a heart attack, right? Um, Whereas before we had you know, you had a bunch of of myocytes or these cardiac cells, these heart cells that just were not getting enough oxygen and nutrition, right? Even though they're working hard. And so, yeah, they would complain by causing chest pain or discomfort. But when that blockage is completely cutting off the blood supply, when those plaques rupture and that artery is completely blocked, then those those heart cells begin to die. And that's when you're having uh, a heart attack, right? That's the classic um, heart attack that I think everybody is familiar with. And that can lead to uh, not only damage to the heart, but right uh, can also lead to not only severe disability, uh, but even death. And that, that's what
1: we really need to understand regarding that.
0: So that's coronary artery disease, the most common form of heart disease.
1: So I've heard that some people can have really mild heart attacks that they won't even realize until they go in for a checkup for some other thing, uh, at which point the physician is like, oh, by the way, Part of your heart, it might be a small part, but part of your heart is dead or dying, which means that you've had a heart attack. Um, so what are some ways that you can recognize some symptoms of a heart attack? And so there,
0: is, there are definitely uh, some, of the, some of the classic symptoms that we describe. Um, actually, if you listen, listen to Health in Harlem enough, right, you probably hear our public service announcement talking about a heart attack. Um, if you know the symptoms of a heart attack, right? Um, I love that song, by the way but they She's talk continued. about, oh, I'll pass. I don't think I'm going to lose <laughs> listeners on that. Yeah, basically chest pain, right? Chest pain is the classic thing. Anytime you have chest pain, I think it is certainly reasonable to go to the emergency department for evaluation, especially if that's something that is new for you. Uh, even if you've had chest pain in the past and you've been evaluated by a physician or a cardiologist in the past, especially if that chest pain is different for you, or in general, you just feel like concerned about it, you should go to your local emergency department for an evaluation. Um, Other symptoms include shortness of breath, um, especially with exertion. Um, Another change that you might see is just a change in your ability to carry out certain activities or your exercise ability or your exercise tolerance. Right, If you're having a lot of shortness of breath or chest discomfort or just feeling fatigued and tired um, after a minimal amount of activity, um, or after an activity, right, that typically you don't have those symptoms, this might be an issue with your heart. And sometimes, right, uh, in the minority, this is a very uh, small number of cases, but individuals do have what we describe as silent heart attacks, which um, unfortunately you don't have very many, many symptoms. Uh, that is few and far between, uh, but the, the majority of individuals will have um, you know, one or more of those symptoms that we've sort of described. And especially when we talk about the heart attack, another classic thing is that you might have that discomfort from the chest going into either arm. So if you have your chest pain and it's going into your your right shoulder or into the right arm, or even into the left arm, um, those are red flags. If it's going into the neck or the jaw area, those are red mm-hmm. flags, that, could, that means it could be a heart attack. Uh, another thing is vomiting, nausea, vomiting a person that looks very sweaty with those symptoms, those are people that need to be in their their nearest emergency department ASAP, right, to be evaluated. Um, But anytime you're having some symptoms, even if it's just sort of uh, generalized weakness, right, uh, it is reasonable to check in with, uh, if not your primary care physician, right, your local emergency department, as I said, will always be open. There's always somebody there that can evaluate you. But yeah, very good question, man.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask, what are some of the other more common uh, types of cardiovascular diseases and how could we be able to uh, identify them and kind of see progression and and be able to treat it early?
0: And so another major common uh, heart disease or type of heart disease is congestive heart failure uh, or heart failure in general. This affects 6.2 million adults in the United States and Unfortunately, it was responsible for 379,000 deaths in 2018. Um, Wow. The number might be, yeah, slightly higher now. There are different types of heart failure, right? I think one misconception is that when we hear the word heart failure, we think about a heart that's just completely stopped moving. That is not the case. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a heart that just, uh, for various reasons, is just not pumping blood forward to the rest of the body as efficiently as a normal heart. and. So one can essentially have a weak, a very weak heart, right. That just can't pump effectively because it's severely weakened. And this is what we call a systolic heart failure in which the heart, right. Um, right. We think of it as a vigorous pump. It's just not as strong as it used to be. It is mm-hmm. pumping weaker and therefore you can't drive forward, right. As much blood or deliver as much blood and oxygen and nutrients to your body systems. Um, So, Mo, at at, this point, is the heart looking like it's getting weaker? Yes. Um, There is a particular test, something called an echocardiogram, where we can look at the heart with an ultrasound and we can actually see the heart pumping. So, if you kind of look at it as like your fist, you're making a fist in and out, basically that fist, right, becomes, it's like you can't make a fist essentially, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. normally you'd be able to completely open and close your hand. With systolic heart failure, um, essentially your heart is so weak that you can't close your fist, right, uh, as fully. And so if you think of yourself with that fist closing in and out, you're sort of, um, maybe, I think, maybe a good uh, example would be milking an udder. <laughs> if you're like milking a cow, you're just not gonna get that much milk out, right? You're not gonna pump out as much milk as if you um, uh, were able to close your fists, right, um, around that udder strongly, right, then you mm-hmm. can obviously milk that cow a little bit better. I know it's a funny analogy, but that's, it also that's essentially like, what
2: it is. It's also kind of like if you're hyperventilating versus taking deep breaths, mm-hmm. how it's a lot more efficient in terms of how much air you're moving to take those deeper, longer breaths than to, you know, pant so fast that the air doesn't actually move up and in, in and out of your lungs uh, Correct. as efficiently. So, do these hearts actually have, like, are they smaller or are they larger? Are they
0: more muscular or less so, muscular? Or So, it's a great question because there are, as we said, different types of heart failure, right? Um, that is the, and it's actually kind of split now. We're learning kind of about 50-50 where we have a number of individuals, about half, that have this systolic heart failure, meaning the pump just is not as effective. It's not contracting um as strongly as it used to be or as it used to and so it would be both ventricles for that one no primarily usually it's the left ventricle Mm -hmm. um the left side of the heart that is having uh difficulty uh in that regard and that's primarily what we're measuring when we talk about this systolic dysfunction we're looking at the left side of the heart because that's where we're pumping the blood to the rest of our body systems but when we talk about um what you mentioned right a heart that is that seems to be pumping just fine, right? If we did that ultrasound, that echocardiogram and looked at that heart, we can see that it is contracting fine, right? That that uh fist is closing around that udder and you would think that we're milking that cow <laughs> very appropriately. <laughs> However, <laughs> the uh, if it's, you know, what we can think of is kind of like the, if it was stiffened. So if you can't open your hand, right, around that udder um, as much as you used to, Right. So if instead of being able to open your palm widely, um, as you normally did, let's say if you were only able to do so half as much. Right. You can only right. There's only so much of that udder that you can now squeeze because you can't fully open. Well, it's, a, it's similar with the heart in that uh, there are issues with the relaxation of the heart. Right. The heart is not able to relax as efficiently as it used to be, and therefore not as much blood can enter enter your ventricles or the area of the heart that is ultimately going to pump that blood uh, forward. And so if you can't relax as much, right, you can't fill that heart, that ventricle with as much blood, you therefore can't pump forward as much blood, right? Because that ventricle um, or that area of the heart is stiff. uh, Sometimes with something called hypertrophy, that heart can be very, very thick and muscular to the point where that size of that chamber is reduced. And again, it's a similar concept in that you can't fill that blood, that uh, heart muscle as much with, with blood, right? You can't get a similar volume of blood into that ventricle, and therefore you're pumping forward uh, less blood to your, to your body systems. There are other forms of heart disease, what we call sort of dilated cardiomyopathies that also can result in heart failure, where the heart is essentially very, very large uh, and weak. And so you have sometimes a combination of both, where uh, the heart can't pump effectively right, very strongly, but also it just can't fill with blood adequately as well. And so there are are many different types of heart failure. When we talk about the risk factors, right, what leads to this? When we talk about that systolic dysfunction uh, that we first mentioned, where the pump is very, very weak, the most common driver of that is ischemic heart disease. Ischemic heart disease is essentially what we described with coronary artery disease, right? The blockages around coronary artery vessels that are supplying the heart, right? The heart is not getting enough blood, or even if you've had heart attacks in certain areas of the heart, that muscle starts to die off. And so the heart becomes very, very weak and you can't pump blood forward um, as efficiently. On the other hand, you can also have things such as hypertension. So high blood pressure um, being a major risk factor for developing congestive heart failure uh, or heart failure in general, in which you can have a combination of many different things. You can have ischemic heart disease that results from that. You can also have that thick ventricle that we talked about, uh, something called left ventricular hypertrophy, where your heart can't fill as well as it used to, and therefore you can't pump blood forward um, as efficiently as as you used to. Other things that can contribute to this include diabetes, high cholesterol, and especially smoking, right? We talk about another major risk factor um, smoking is another thing that we really need to take into account because of the damage that's done not only to the heart muscle itself, um, but to the blood vessels as well. And we talked about how that sort of component of inflammation that is in every case of atherosclerotic plaques developing in those coronary arteries, right? There's a good amount of inflammation that's going on and smoking has been linked to driving a lot of that inflammation and damaging those blood vessel walls, um, not only in the heart, but throughout the body, which we're going to get into Um, sort of how this manifests outside of the heart uh, as well, major disease. Just a couple more things as far as the heart, before we move on to the other body systems, one can develop arrhythmias. So this is another form of heart disease and essentially which the heart is just, has an abnormal heartbeat, right? Uh, This can be caused by any condition that uh, affects the way electricity is conducted throughout the heart. And so there are many different types of arrhythmias. One of the most common types is something called atrial fibrillation, in which the heart is just—you um, know—you have certain areas of the heart, the atria, so the top portion of the heart that delivers signals to the ventricular system of the heart, um, where you're pumping blood forward. Normally, you have this coordinated sort of electrical activity that is starting from a particular node in the in the top of the heart, something called the SA node, and then that portion of the heart sends this signal throughout the rest of the heart into the ventricular system in a nice coordinated fashion, right? So that if you felt your pulse at any given moment, you feel beat to beat, right? Just sort of this regular rhythmic pulse that you that is evidence of your heart essentially contracting um, at a very even sort of regular pace, right? If you have multiple signals, so not just signals coming from that SA node or sinoatrial node, but coming from other parts of the atria, or other parts of that top portion of the heart, if we're not having those coordinated uh, beats, we end up with what we call an irregularly irregular heartbeat. Um, And so those beats don't have that regular beat to beat rhythm. You feel it at different time points. It's very chaotic, not organized. um, And that is a sign of atrial fibrillation. As I said, this is the most common arrhythmia uh, that we see. um, And some of the risk factors that we talked about for coronary artery disease and even for congestive heart failure, you know, some of these same risk factors apply. So um, individuals with hypertension are predisposed to this. Uh, Also individuals with chronic lung diseases, especially chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, you can have certain stretching of certain parts of the heart as a result of the increased lung volumes and, and how that sort of changes your pulmonary vasculature or your pulmonary blood vessels, you can actually have stretching, stretching of certain parts of the heart that make it more prone to ha- developing arrhythmias or abnormal heartbeats, such as atrial fibrillation. Also, things such as alcohol use um, can also increase the risk of developing atrial fibrillation. Smoking, of course, is up there. And uh, among the major risk factors as well is just ischemic heart disease or coronary artery disease and even congestive heart failure as well. Uh, can set someone up or increase one's risk of developing uh, this illness. And just as we begin to move outside of the heart, right, I just want to make a statement just about COVID and the heart. And as as Reed said, right, this is one thing that we know increases the risk of a person having a poor outcome from COVID-19. But we know that the SARS-CoV-2 virus actually affects the heart in a number of different ways, One way that we've seen it really affected is by causing a lot of inflammation in the heart, something called myocarditis. And that can set us up for a number of different things, pretty much every disease that we've talked about related to the heart up to this point. So coronary artery disease, because this virus can cause changes um, in inflammation in the blood vessels, it can set people up for heart attacks. It can also lead to myocarditis or this inflammation of the heart muscle that can also lead to heart failure. Especially very quick onset, like sudden onset heart failure, can lead to arrhythmias. Um, I've had quite a few patients with new onset or newly diagnosed atrial fibrillation that, when we looked at this, right, these are perfectly normal, young, healthy people with no other risk factors to develop these things. And the one thing that sort of uh, was common amongst a lot of them was that they had recently had been diagnosed with COVID or had COVID symptoms, right? And so the, or what we would deduce is that, hey, this might be the COVID sort of causing those changes in the heart and leading to those arrhythmias. And so COVID, right, we're learning more. We still don't know it all, but we definitely see that there are a number of ways in which the heart can be affected by COVID-19. So another reason why we need to wear our masks, wash our hands, right, and really protect ourselves and also consider vaccination, so we can get a better handle on that pandemic to address our original (laughs) more concern in heart disease pandemic, which we deal with every single year. Um, And then finally, valvular heart disease is, uh, and Giorgio actually alluded to this earlier, this is another uh, major subset of heart disease in which the valves that partition the heart and separate the chambers of the heart, those valves can be disrupted in different ways. And that can lead to pretty much all of the, the disease entities that we've discussed, especially congestive heart failure. It can lead to things like atrial fibrillation. Uh, also, ischemic heart disease or coronary artery disease, especially if a person has had actual heart attacks, they can be predisposed to developing some of these problems with the heart valves themselves, which uh, at times need to be corrected by surger- surgery um, in order to correct those issues. And so that's just the heart itself, man. Like just in terms of cardiovascular of disease, it. that's the heart of it right there, right there. <laughs> um, and that's that's not even it in its entirety because we mentioned. Uh, congenital heart diseases which we can um i would table that for another show um mm-hmm. but when we talk about what we need to really address as far as american heart month um right there are a number of things that we can do to minimize our risk of developing any one of these entities when it comes to looking at our at our hearts and the disease don't tell me you're developed.
1: gonna make
2: me work out and sleep and eat again come on, talk. yep no come on, you're not man. gonna do that to me again another we, show where that's where you're gonna yep. tell me what to do
0: oh man we're we're getting there man we're getting there <laughs> we're getting, there. We're getting there. so, so Lee, you had some some things about stroke you
1: were saying yeah so stroke a lot of people say oh that's an issue with your brain uh which it is but the origin of that issue is the heart Um, So the most common cause of stroke is when you have a plaque buildup, but instead of blocking an artery that leads to the heart, that plaque buildup or clot or something breaks off and then gets caught up in the tiny little blood vessels that are in your brain, blocking blood flow to areas of your brain, uh, causing parts of your brain to die. Um, So I remember when I was a lifeguard, I think they taught us an acronym for how to identify a stroke, uh, which, if I remember correctly, was FAST, standing for face, arms, speech, and time. Uh, So when someone starts having a stroke, one way to identify it is to look at their face, so ask them to smile or ask them to wink at you or something like that, uh, because they might start losing muscle function in their face. So if you ask them to smile, you might notice one side of their face is paralyzed or isn't able to fully smile as much as the other side. So onto the A is arms. Ask them to raise up their arms uh, and they might have difficulty raising their arms or difficulty raising one arm as high as their other arm. S for speech, so ask them to talk, see if they have any slurred speech, Mm -hmm. see if they're able to form complete sentences, uh, stuff like that. And finally time, uh, because this is a very time sensitive issue. Once you have a stroke, part of your brain is dying, which means that you need to get help fast.
0: And yes, you need to get to your nearest emergency department, ASAP. Uh, This is just the, right? This is what we were saying, where uh, the origin of the heart, right? If you're talking about heart disease, it's hard not to talk about vascular issues and really other parts of the body that could be affected from that. And the brain is one of the major places Um, Whereas Reed said, right, these atherosclerotic plaques that we see developing in the heart um, causing coronary artery disease, they can develop in other places. So if you have a diagnosis of ischemic heart disease or coronary artery disease, right, in which those plaques are blocking the arteries, supplying the heart, there's a good probability you might have blockages like that in other parts of the body or narrowing of the arteries in other parts of the body, especially the brain. Um, And when those arteries get narrow enough, as Reed said, uh, especially if they get blocked off completely, you essentially have a stroke, right? Um, In which parts of the brain are dying because they're not getting enough blood supply. And the brain is another area in the body that needs a constant supply. Every part of the body needs a constant supply of blood, but we're talking about any second to second decrease in blood being supplied to the brain. You're going to feel that. You're going to know there's a problem. um, And it's going to be manifest, as Reed said, right? With uh, weakness in uh various places depending on the brain, what part of the brain is affected. They might have um weakness in their arms or legs on one side of the body. They might have sensory disturbances, so numbness or tingling in a particular place, vision disturbances. Sometimes people smell eggs. Interesting. I never heard that, but you know never what? Heard that? In terms of the brain, in terms of the brain, right? Um, and, and where it is in the brain, that very well could happen. Um, there are quote unquote, atypical strokes, just like there are silent heart attacks, right? There are many different ways in which a person can have a stroke manifest. Um, And so, and there are different types of strokes. There are strokes in which the blood vessels in the brain can rupture um, and cause bleeding throughout the brain. Um, There are strokes in which those arteries, right, as we said, become blocked and the the cells of the brain, the neurons start to die off. Um, The one in which they're blocked is more common But depending on the type of stroke and where it is in the brain, a person can very well have something like that, Um, a change in smell or visual disturbances, changes in color vision um, abruptly that wasn't there before. There are so many ways in which this can be manifest. Um, But again, this all goes back to the vascular system. That's why when we talk about cardiovascular disease, you can't talk about heart disease and not talk about these other entities such as stroke. And when we look at heart diseases like arrhythmia, certain arrhythmias, such as atrial fibrillation, uh, you talk about another major risk factor for a stroke, because as that heart is sort of beating irregularly like that, right, with atrial fibrillation, clots can form in the heart, and they can actually be sent to other places of the body, especially the brain, and that can also cause a stroke as well. And so, you know, major another major form of cardiovascular disease... Um, in talking about strokes. Another thing that can develop sort of outside of the heart uh, is peripheral vascular disease. So these are essentially blockages um, in other areas of the body, uh, blockages in the arteries supplying other areas of the body. It could be in a person's gut, right? So the blood supply that is supplying all of our internal organs um, in our digestive system, they can become blocked and can manifest as a person with intense abdominal pain, especially in individuals that are older. That have other risk factors for heart disease, such as high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, smokers, um, uh, they can have this. Also, sometimes it could be manifest in uh, the arms and especially the legs, where individuals have blockages in the artery supplying those extremities. And so they can have not only weakness in those areas, but also if those arteries become completely blocked, that muscle tissue that those extremities can then become, uh, those cells there can begin to die off and so, a person can have a lot of pain resulting from that. They can have weakness. Um, ultimately, those areas of the limb can begin to die off. They can become infected, and a person can lose their limbs, um, and even have systemic uh, infections such as uh, sepsis um, if those areas get infected. You know, causing things like gangrene and stuff. So, peripheral vascular disease. If you have heart disease, you know that might be a setup for you developing uh, peripheral vascular disease. Uh, as well. So we're talking about a systemic illness, right? When we talk about heart disease, if you have any of these issues, you know, it is possible or you have an increased likelihood of having uh, some of these other problems. And that's why it's such a big area of concern. And hence, we have a whole month that is dedicated to, right, heart health because of that. I think uh, the fact that we use that,
2: that phrasing, you know, get to the heart of it, it's kind of spot on because, uh, it's a, it's a core functional unit of our body. And, uh, it is something that is deeper seated and can have all of these other comorbidities and, and can indirectly cause all of these other, uh, disorders and dysfunctions that occur. So it's one of those things that we want to address from the, from the top down, one of those things that we want to keep healthy and, uh, and mo this is about the time where you tell me that we need to exercise every day and watch what we eat and uh preach, make sure and, we preach. Don't smoke and, and preach and preach our stress and uh make sure that we drink a lot of water.
0: <laughs> and I don't if to pre- do all those things <laughs> I don't want to preach man. Do you want to preach um read I don't know. I mean we, we can <laughs> preach these things. We can definitely talk about risk factors for heart disease, right? We've mentioned them, the hypertension or high blood pressure, the diabetes, the high cholesterol, um, smoking, alcohol use. There are genetic risk factors. So knowing our family history, right? If you had somebody in your family that was in their 30s or 40s that had heart attacks or that have uh, been diagnosed with valvular, or, or valvular abnormalities or some sort of heart disease, then we need to be mindful of that. Right. And, and get appropriate testing and follow up with our primary care physicians um, and be aware of what's happening with our bodies as far as our symptoms. Um, but, yeah, man, I mean, I don't want to preach, but I think it is important that we acknowledge at the beginning of the show is like a lot of this is preventable, especially when we talk about um, things like coronary artery disease um, and even heart failure and other aspects of heart disease. There are, there's, there's, are things that we can definitely do. Right. We have these modifiable risk factors that if we make certain changes in our lifestyle, we can significantly, um, significantly reduce our chances of having any of these disease entities. Yeah, man, uh, I think that's what we really need to talk about. (laughs) It's like our diet, our lifestyle habits, things that we can do to, if not minimize this, right, take it away completely as far as developing these illnesses.
2: And we could like copy paste that part of our show to like almost every show that we have. Seriously, uh, and and it, has would be, it would it would apply almost every yeah. time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> cascading <such> <laughs> effects. Your health is really dependent on how well you take care of your body. I mean, it sounds super obvious, but the the ways to take care of your body is proper diet, proper exercise, take care of your stress, get a good night's sleep, all that stuff. Because That's- prevention really is the best treatment the best medicine. Science has progressed a lot. So we're saving way more lives from heart disease than we used to, but we also have way more cases. So that's something to think about, but prevention is the best medicine. Prevention will always be better than treatment, especially when you're having something as urgent as a stroke or a heart attack.
0: And unfortunately, you know, with a lot of these disease entities, it's not reversible, right? Unfortunately, coronary artery disease Um, Well, once we've progressed to that point where we have those significant blockages where you might require um, stents, so they go into your groin or your wrist and go up to the heart and actually open up those blood vessels again, you know, that's irreversible. Um, That's irreversible damage that has been done. When we talk about um, not all, but many types of heart failure um, are not reversible. Um, There are changes that are taking place, actual modeling, remodeling of the heart muscle that takes place with certain heart disease um, or certain um, heart failure entities that we can't change that, right? We, the only thing we can do is start you on medications and lifestyle changes as well to slow the progression, but it is not going to change that the uh, or reverse that process, unfortunately. And so I agree with you guys, like the way that we need to do this is prevent it, right? So preventing hypertension, you talk about a major risk factor for heart disease. Yes, and uh, actually transplants is another, right? A person with really advanced heart disease or really advanced heart failure, a transplant, definitely an option. But if we can sort of negate that from uh, and nip it in a bud and deal with things like avoiding hypertension, um, avoiding developing diabetes, um, high cholesterol, right? These sort of metabolic changes that can increase the development of atherosclerotic plaques in those arteries. They can also affect the heart. You think about your heart, um, and Giorgio kind of mentioned this earlier, right? This resistance that the heart is pumping against. If you have high blood pressure, even if you're just resting, a person with a really high blood pressure, your heart has to work much harder, right? Than a person without high blood pressure. Your heart has to work much harder to pump against that pressure to get oxygen and nutrients to the rest of your body. And so hypertension is a major risk factor for heart disease and cardiovascular disease uh, in general. And so simple things such as increasing our physical activity, right, losing weight, we can actually make significant changes that reduce our chances of developing hypertension and therefore developing heart disease. Um, According to the American Heart Association, it is recommended that we get 150 minutes of moderate exercise or so moderate activity each and every week can lead to, we're talking about significant reductions in heart disease, developing heart disease um, in excess of you know, 20, 30% uh, reductions in the chances of developing uh, heart disease and having bad outcomes from that.
2: That's like 20 yep, minutes a
0: day or 30 minutes, minutes, five a day. days
2: a week. If you do a nine to five and you, you factor in a 30 minute workout for that Friday, Monday through Friday, that's that's 150 yeah. minutes Or you do 22 minutes every day. And,
0: and don't just think of it as workouts like this. You know, one thing that I think we can be misled by is when we think about that activity at 150 minutes, we think we got to be in a gym. We think we need to be doing like CrossFit or something um, when really. Oh, that's what up. So is doing it now. <laughs> He's getting it in while we do the show. But really what it is is walking, right? Even uh, rather than taking the bus or the train uh, to go grocery shopping or driving somewhere like we do here in Georgia, every damn where, it is probably beneficial for you to walk to those places. Just walking alone, if you were to increase the amount of times that you're walking, that counts as this moderate activity that they're talking about for that 150 minutes. And you can see substantial benefits from that. Um, And then also another exciting thing, and we talked about this um, in our previous shows, actually, um, but there seems to be no upper limit to how much you know benefit you can reap from this. Um, and so they said for even more benefit, right, in terms of really reducing and, and lowering your risk of developing cardiovascular disease, you know, 300 minutes. If you are able to double that activity week to week, and again, this could be anything. It could be your CrossFit routines mixed in with you walking to the grocery store or taking the stairs at work. We can significantly reduce our um, risk of developing heart heart disease. studies now showing up to 40% reductions, right? So we're approaching wow. like half, almost half, right? Reduction. Um we do that long enough.
2: Well, we might be able to catch the stem cell like gene therapy wave and <laughs> that we could undo some of this uh cardiovascular damage.
0: So and that's the thing. We have to hold some of on. this is reversible. <laughs> yeah, no, some yeah. of it is reversible too because Um, I'm glad you mentioned that because there are studies showing too that we can actually reverse, right? Um, As we said, there's a point, sort of a threshold, it seems that when we cross it, coronary artery disease, yes, uh, relatively irreversible. But before you get to that point where you have that significant narrowing, um, this exercise can uh, reverse that process, right? Where we reduce the amount of those plaques, but also what what has been shown continuously too is that our arteries in response to that exercise, the arteries around the heart also become larger too. So not only are those plaques reduced, but now the arteries are bigger around the heart. So your heart is getting more blood, right? Yeah. Um, and therefore you have, no, they're
2: laying on the highway. That's
0: yeah, awesome. exactly. Yo. So that's yeah. the, that's the thing. This is huge as far yeah. as um, increasing our, our physical activity. Just yesterday, there was an article that came out in the new England journal of medicine actually describing the link between high glycemic index diets and cardiovascular disease. So these are like the the ultra processed sugars and things that are out there, highly processed foods um, that have a high glycemic index. And so these are products, right, that for every amount that you take in, they are going to lead to significant increases in your blood sugar. That is a high glycemic index food, whereas a low glycemic index food Um, for every amount that you take in of that particular food, it's less likely to lead to large fluctuations in your blood sugar. And they actually found that individuals with a low glycemic, uh, that ate foods with a low glycemic index, they had a lower likelihood of premature death and major cardiovascular disease events compared with those that had a a diet that included more, quote unquote, poor quality food with higher, um, high glycemic indexes or indices. These were results from the pure study pure um, and it included nearly 120,000 people worldwide you know basically just saying that right our diets play a major role in terms of our uh, risk of developing heart disease um, love cardiovascular to see the,
2: disease the mechanism behind that that's uh like i'm trying to i'm trying to speculate how one yeah. to the other I, I know they're all tied through metabolic <laughs> disorder but uh, that's interesting to think about
0: but uh-huh. one thing that we do know, Georgie, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because, right, when we talk about, and we've talked about this in the past with um, Dr. Truesdale when we talked about diabetes, but diabetes, right, and this is really what we're talking about when we talk about these glycemic indices, you know, individuals with higher blood sugars, right, ultimately we start to put pressure on, and this is just sort of a real quick uh, way to conceptualize this and break this down. Um, but essentially, you, you said it, We it leads to metabolic changes that predispose us to developing diabetes, even high cholesterol, um, as a lot of this sugar, excess sugar can be stored as fat, which can fat can then be turned into hormones such as cholesterol, right? And so that is the thing is that this can lead to this metabolic dysfunction that again, predisposes us to developing cardiovascular disease. So those plaques that we talked about, all the fats and stuff that are being put in those plaques, this results from that. Also, there's actual damage especially individuals with diabetes, right? When the blood sugar becomes uncontrolled, we have a lot of excess sugar floating around. Uh, we have what's called advanced glycation end products that literally this is like sugar being toxic to your blood vessels um, and accelerating sort of that process of atherosclerotic plaque development. And so in, in really rough terms, right? This is the link, right? This, these high glycemic index foods spiking our blood sugar lead into long, higher blood sugar um levels over time predisposing us to diabetes, predisposing us to high uh cholesterol, and therefore we we have um we increase artery disease. Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. So it's huge. Man, it's, so uh, all carbs are not the same, basically. Yeah yeah. 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 Fresh fruits and veggies, um whole grains, right? Whole sugars. So, or whole yeah. Simple sugars, these things we can metabolize a lot better. They lead to less huge fluctuations in our blood sugars and therefore they can help us reduce the chances of developing heart disease. So it's, it's fascinating That's stuff, man. And then yeah, like, smoking is. and stuff, like Reed said, we can have a whole show dedicated to not smoking, like smoking. If you want to talk about the most toxic habit uh, to your, to your health or among the most toxic habits, like that is it because of the exposure to all of the chemicals and chronic inflammation mm-hmm. that results from that. Um, We are doing damage to every part of our body. So it's not just the lungs, right? Individuals developing chronic obstructive pulmonary disease from that. But we're talking about individuals damaging their blood vessels, right? Um, Leading to these stiff, hardened blood vessels. They get high blood pressure resulting from that. They damage the heart, um, both indirectly and directly from the toxins that are released from smoking. And so smoking Mm -hmm. is just, you know, anybody that says they're a smoker, when they come to the emergency department with chest pain. We're looking at that person like, well, until proven otherwise, you're having a heart attack, right? Because you're smoking. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't have some of the other risk factors associated with heart disease, smoking is a major risk factor for everything. Strokes, heart disease, renal disease, and then the cancers and all that. So smoking, if you want to improve your health, you know, aside from what we've just talked about as far as exercise and making some changes in your diet, smoking, like you got to get rid of smoking. And I'm talking, even those people that have weaned down, you know, I got friends that are like, yeah, I'm down to one a day. I'm like, yo, that's what's up. But you need to get that last one out of there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We commend those people. people. Yeah. We need to commend those people. And the facts, right? The facts also show, the data also shows that this is reversible too. Many aspects of, uh, or a lot of the changes we see and destruction that's done from smoking, right? The longer a person has not smoked, right? Your body begins to recover, especially when we talk about, um, lung function and changes that we see in, in the lungs, those things are reversible, but you got to stop smoking. You got to stop smoking.
2: And, uh, well, thank you so much for reviewing all these different cardiovascular diseases with us. And Reed and I have learned a lot from you and I'm sure the audience agrees
0: with that sentiment. I can't wait for next, uh, next week's show. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to it too. I'm always looking forward to meeting you, with you guys, man, and, and getting this stuff out there, getting this information out there. So clutch. And literally, I think we're saving lives um, and improving lives by just talking about this stuff, you know, and being passionate about it. So that's one thing um, I'm I'm looking, I'm down for the cause. You know that 1000%. Absolutely. So I I guess we have a message
2: for for Harlem then. Yes, sir. Take care of themselves. Harlem, take care of yourselves. This uh, show, as all other shows, are dedicated to the memory of Miss Gloria Thomas. And uh, we appreciate you listening and tuning in. And if you learned something today, and uh, you'd like someone else to, to share that message, we do appreciate when you send them that link, uh, or when you blast that podcast on your car ride while you're carpooling or, you know, Word. Bring a boombox onto the subway. Just, you know. Yeah, I was about to say, play it on the train, yo. Just do it. Like People will be like, what? what are you listening to? Yo, that's what's up. You're saving lives with us.
1: So, yes. we appreciate you. Do it. If not for the info, do it for the jazzy chill beats.
2: Right? There we go. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yo. In the edit, it better just come in right now. As we're, as we're like, our voices are fading out and the, the jazz is coming in. Y'all are
0: all right, right there. next week. All right, guys. Later.